0: Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves, continuing medical education podcast. Join us every other week for a lively discussion on the latest and greatest in the field of electrocardiography. We'll discuss some of the exciting and innovative work happening at Mayo Clinic and beyond with the most brilliant minds in the space and provide valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome to Mayo Clinic's ECG segment, Making Waves. We're so glad you could join us today. Today we have a great episode planned for you as we discuss Lyme carditis and the role of the ECG. We have an expert discussant joining us who will help us better understand this topic. So let's get started. Lyme disease is a common tick-borne bacterial infection. In the United States, most cases of Lyme disease occur in the Northeast, Mid-Atlantic, and upper Midwest regions. In Canada, the prevalence continues to rise. If this bacterium infiltrates the myocardium, it is referred to Lyme carditis and can result in impaired electrical conduction in the heart. In this episode, we will discuss Lyme carditis, including the role of the ECG, management, and potential cardiac complications if left untreated. We are fortunate to have a world expert on this topic, Dr. Adrian Baranchuk, to discuss this further. Dr. Baranchuk is a professor of medicine at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. He serves as the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Electrocardiology and Jack in Spanish. He is the past president of the International Society of Electrocardiology, the current vice president of the International Society of Holter and Non-Invasive Electrocardiology, and he's the president-elect of the Inter-American Society of Cardiology. His contribution to the medical field is undeniable, with more than 600 authored medical articles, 57 book chapters, and 10 books, and that continues to rise. Dr. Berenczuk, what a true honor to have you back with us. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much, Anthony, for having me here. It's a true honor to participate in these uh, radio podcasts.
0: You know, we had such a good time with you last time, I I figured we'd now touch on another area that you've been leading the way in, and that's in Lyme carditis. And so maybe we could start and you could share, what is the role of the ECG in the diagnosis of Lyme carditis?
1: As you very nicely point out, Lyme disease continues to be a considerable problem, both in the U.S. and in Canada. And now there are more and more reports of a Lyme disease in Europe. And the problem with this condition is that When it does affect the heart, and we call it Lyme carditis, it can be rapidly progressive to stages where life could be compromised. In simple terms, an inadvertent compromise of the heart can lead to the patient dying. The way that the heart is affected has two major clinical presentations. One of them is quite dramatic, and we call it fulminant myocarditis. For some reason, that happens in a small proportion of the patients. The vast majority of the patients that have Lyme carditis, which is around 10% of the total population with Lyme disease, it may present with different degrees of shutdown of the electrical system. That means, remember, the heart is contracting on its own, because it has automaticity to make the electrical system to work without dependent in us giving any directions to it. You can put your hand up, but you cannot make your heart to go faster or slower. It depends on automatic system that uh, regulates our heart rate. Well, it happens that this bacteria has a predominantly attraction for the conduction system. And that can produce different degrees of malfunction from something that may not even produce symptoms to a complete shutdown of the electrical system That is, is, if it is not properly detected and treated, the patient could
0: die. That's interesting to to think that it has this predilection for the conduction system once it infiltrates it. I guess, once you suspect it, how do you monitor the heart rate?
1: That's a great question, and it helped me answering the final part of your first question, which is what is the role of the ECG? The ECG, as most of you guys know, is a system to record the electricity of the heart, but using electrodes on the chest and on the arms, uh, it's very easy to do. Um, it's highly reproducible. So the ECG that you do in, in the Mayo Clinic is the same ECG that we do here at Queen's University or in Japan or in France. It's easy to be transmitted. We can use digital platforms to send an ECG from a remote area to a center where there's somebody that can interpret that ECG. What is the role in Lyme carditis? Usually, Lyme disease affects affects mostly young individuals that in the vast majority do have normal hearts. So if you suspect Lyme disease or you confirm Lyme disease, the ECG quickly can tell you if the heart is being involved in the process or not. Remember, when the patient presents with symptoms and the symptoms can be fainting or extreme dizziness, it may happen that already the electrical system is completely taken. However, if we promote doing ECGs to all patients presented with a high degree suspicion of Lyme disease, we may find that some of them presents with mild alterations that could be aborted or delay in the progress with the proper use of antibiotics. And this is why the ECG now has a relevant feature, not only Lyme carditis helping us suspect in this, but also in Lyme disease to determine, is it true that it's only 10% or 10% of patients presented with Lyme disease that we know that they have Lyme carditis are those that we detect because they became symptomatic and then we did an ECG. So this is... A discussion that is currently on the table, and we are advocating to try to expand the use of the ECG in every single individual presenting with Lyme disease or a high-suspicious Lyme disease.
0: That's really fascinating, knowing that you know young individuals are are the group most commonly affected, and you know presumably, you you know they'd have a normal ECG. So if you can capture even a, a slight you know, conduction defect, it may help before, you know, they, they end up <coughs> to the emergency room fainting. Uh, that's really fascinating. And how about the role of heart rate? Is there anything we have to do there or with subsequent ECGs? In terms of heart rate, when you are having slight
1: defects of the conduction system, you could still suspect carditis with the heart rate being normal. Now, When you know your heart rate and you know that you operate in the rate of 60 to 70 and now you have dizziness with a pulse rate of 20 beats per minute, that becomes an emergency because that can be an indicator that the system is failing and we we do not know when that failure will take you to have no cardiac beats. Those are the most traumatic cases. We call that complete heart block. When there is a complete shutdown of the electrical system, those patients need admission, need to be under monitoring care, and some of them, if the slow heart rate is too profound, may require temporary pacing. That means squeezing a line directly to the heart to secure a minimum of 60 beats per minute.
0: That's really fascinating. And then how about the, the group that, say, has underlying maybe first-degree AV block, right? And, and I guess there's no, no prior ECG. How, how do we suspect uh, Lyme carditis in a patient like that?
1: I'm, I'm going to take your question into two different stages. One is how do we suspect Lyme carditis in any patient presented with any degree of AV block? When you say first-degree block, that is a minor delay in the conduction. When I say complete heart block, that is a total interruption of the the conduction. So to answer this first part is that about uh, uh, five years ago, we developed a score to be applied to patients presented with different degrees of conduction disease. Why different degrees? Because we do know that you can go from your first degree that you were mentioning, Anthony, to a complete shutdown of the electrical system in a matter of hours. So this is why the score that I'm going to describe with you applies to any person presenting with symptomatic conduction disease. And this is the so-called Silk score, the Suspicious Index in Lyme Carditis. And we have created an acronym that helps healthcare providers to think about Lyme carditis when they are seeing a patient that came symptomatic with a pre-fainting or a fainting episode, and they see different degrees of electrical shutdown. And that acronym reads Co-Star, like the co-star in a movie. So the C is for Constitutional Symptoms. So if you have malaise, fever, lack of energy, you get a point. The O stays for outdoor activities slash endemic regions. So if you're a person working in the office from office to home and you never are outdoors, you get a zero. But if you are walking your dog or you will go to work or exercise in the outdoors, then you get a point. The S is for sex. Male sex has a predominance of 9 to 1 versus women. So why is that? We don't know exactly. It could be simply that in our societies, men are more oftenly more uh, frequently working in the outdoors than women. It could have to do with that or with something that we still don't understand. The T of Co-star is the tick bite. So if you come to see me with a shutdown of any degree, any degree, and you tell me that four to six weeks ago, you have removed a tick from your armpit, from your groin, from your legs, that gives you three points. It's a very solid indicator that Lyme carditis could be the reason of your electrical shutdown. The A is for age less than 50, you get one point. Why? Because these shutdowns of the electrical system are not common in young individuals. Usually this is presented by people much older than 50 years old. So if I have a 14 year old kid presenting with some of the things that I mentioned to you and he recollects having removed a tick, this is Lyme carditis until you prove otherwise. And finally, pay attention to this one, is the R of the COSTAR acronym. And R stands for the rush. And I know that some people knows how the Lyme disease rush looks like. It's like a target, a bullet eye, uh, a bull eye target that is quite characteristic. But the point here is that that science that gives you four points it's only present in less than half percent of the people presented with Lyme carditis.
0: Mm, that-
1: and we have published a case in a woman, rare, 56 years of age, rare, more than 50, that was treated during two weeks because of a triangular rash on her shoulder. It ended up being Lyme carditis. So the SILK score still gives you directions but there are a lot of outliers, and this is why we're so pleased to be in your program talking about this, because still healthcare providers need to remember that Lyme disease is out there, and that at least 10% of them will present with a serious heart condition.
0: It's really fascinating in that SILK score is tremendously helpful. I thought of it during, not the score, but Lyme disease, we think of it more when we're doing, you know, internal medicine. But you're right, even as cardiologists, we have to think about it, because if gone untreated, you know, we can end up with things. And that gets me to the, the next question. You mentioned some of these patients may need temporary pacing, right, if their rate gets too low. You know, which patients need pacing, or do some of them wind up needing permanent pacing?
1: This, this this is the $1 million question and what took me through the world to deliver conferences specifically in the diagnosis and management of this condition. So the algorithm that we presented in 2019 in Jack is now the algorithm that the CDC is using to determine the flow of action once you have diagnosed this condition. So if the patient presents with evidence of Lyme carditis, it should be admitted to a unit with a monitor. Why? Because even if the electrical shutdown is partial, we know that a proportion of patients will continue to evolve to a more dramatic condition. If at the presentation, the the slow cardiac rhythm that we call bradycardia, it's quite pronounced and producing symptoms on the patient. In the past, before all those studies that I'm mentioning now, the patient could get a pacemaker for the rest of his life. And now we're talking, I don't know, a 22 year old kid that will have to replace the battery every 10 years. So six times during his life with a risk of a serious infection of two to 3% every time that we change the battery. Hmm. Not to talk about the mental health issues associated living as a young individual with a device that supports your heart. But the point here is that if you get proper treatment with antibiotics. This shutdown is transient. And now we have proof that there's no long-term effects. We published last year, the long-term follow-up of these patients that were treated with antibiotics did not receive a pacemaker. And with an average of, of 24 months later, they are doing their normal lives. So we have exchanged seven to 10 days of antibiotics in the hospital by a life living with a device. However, Anthony, few of them, the bradycardia is so pronounced, the slow cardiac rhythm is so intolerable that we do put something called a temp perm pacemaker. What is that? That is a real pacemaker wire that goes into the heart. It gets externalized below the clavicle we hook it up to a battery outside the body and we paste the battery on the chest. And with that, we can ambulate the patient from day one because think about it, 22 year old guy working as a a roof fixer, doing full activities, presents a fainting, comes to hospital and he said, now you're going to be admitted with a wire in your neck for the next seven to 10 days, but please do not move for seven days, what? That is the so-called temporary. So we adopted a technique called Temp Perm, where the patient gets this device. And to prove my team on the difference between the the classic temporary wire versus the Temp Perm, I asked the patient to walk with me from the table where we put the wire to his bed in the unit. Meaning, you don't stop ambulating. Next day, this guy was in the solar room watching TV and chatting with a friend while waiting for the antibiotics to make its work. By day five, we've been able to take the wire out completely. And now we're doing something in a systematic manner, Anthony. We are putting these people on a treadmill before sending them home. Why? Because we want to see how much they that that conduction system can tolerate. And if in the treadmill, your heart rate goes above 120 beats per minute, the only thing we do is we see you in four to six weeks with an ECG. All right? And then we see you at one year with an ECG. If in the treadmill, you didn't do that well, well, we see you at four to six weeks with an ECG and another treadmill to see if you kept improving. So... The beauty of this is that this approach allows us to determine that this is a transient condition, that if properly treated, it results in a matter of five to 10 days, that three weeks of antibiotics in total is the perfect dose. So when you go home, you don't continue with IV antibiotic. We switch to antibiotics PO. And that at four to six weeks, you need a control to be sure that everything is in place, And then when we see you at one year, everything is perfect. So far, no patient relapsed. No patient got reinfected because they learned all the process and measurements that they can do to avoid further infection and to continue doing activities in the outdoors, right? So uh, the system works and we are extremely happy with the value that the simple ECG
0: give us to make the diagnosis and then to do the follow-up. It's really tremendous to, to see the importance, like you mentioned, from the initial presentation through monitoring of what the disease course might look like, what to look out for, the need for even pacing. And you've already got to my next question, which was, how do you follow these patients in the role? And you've already answered that. It's really amazing to see the work you've done. And I will have to check out that that Jack article in 2019. and. Um, which is now now used by everyone across the the world. So thank you so much.
1: So thank you, Anthony, and thank you. I I, I thank the Mayo Clinic to help us spreading the voice about that. We're very happy now every two to three months, different groups uh, um, across the world are validating the SILK score, so using it in their populations, right? Lyme is not the only transient cause that can produce uh, electrical shutdown, but maybe it is the, the cost in North America for a transient condition that can be recovered without having to pay, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking biological cost of implanting a device in a young individual for the rest of his or her life. Mm. So thank you so much for helping us uh, pass the message.
0: The prevalence of Lyme disease continues to rise. If left undiagnosed or untreated, it can infect the heart and result in conduction abnormalities as we saw today. And even if left untreated further, death, which is something we we never want to get to. So prompt diagnosis and antibiotic therapy can be effective and improve the prognosis in these patients. I hope you found today's episode informative and learned something because I sure did. Dr. Baranchuk, thank you for sharing your expertise and helping us better understand this important and seemingly under-discussed topic. On behalf of our team, thank you for taking the time. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast at cveducation.mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to a Mayo Clinic cardiovascular cme podcast on your favorite platform and tune in every other week to explore today's most pressing electrocardiography topics with your colleagues at mayo clinic
1: this has been a mayo clinic podcast